0: But if you do have one, we'll be in John chapter 14. John chapter 14, and we're just going to talk a little bit about Jesus this morning. Amen. We heard earlier the historical accounts of the day that we celebrate today. That is the first Easter where the women went to the tomb early in the morning they were, and they were expecting Jesus to be in the tomb and they went there to anoint the body, but they had the surprise of a lifetime. There was, as was read to us this morning, an angel that said, He's not here. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. And we heard that historical account this morning. And I ask you, as you just take a moment to think, why would you be here if you didn't believe that Jesus rose from the dead some 2,000 years ago? I mean, what are you doing? You put on nice clothes, you all look so good, and you look so pretty, and it's so good to see you. But by fact that you're here, it must mean that there is at least an inkling of agreement with the idea that this man named Jesus rose from the grave some 2,000 years ago. Otherwise, you never would have come. It would be the most horrible waste of time. could be out surfing or something, you understand. But you're here, so I'm assuming that you believe a little bit that Jesus rose from the dead. And if you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, then wouldn't it make sense that you would believe His words? I mean, nobody else in history has ever rose from the dead, predicted and pulled off their own death and resurrection. Therefore, the words of Jesus have validity beyond anyone else in all of history, beyond any other religious figure, any other person, any other personality. The words of Jesus have a certain weightiness to them. Now, I want us to look very carefully at the words of Jesus before us. We'll read them in just a moment. But these are words that he spoke to his disciples the evening before He was crucified, really just a few hours before He went to the cross. And He said it, as I mentioned a moment ago, to His disciples, those who were followers of His. And in these words that we'll read, He makes some amazing promises. Promises that should be yours today. Every person here is going to have an opportunity this day to receive the promises that Jesus speaks about in this text that we'll read in just a moment. He's not only going to speak to us these promises, but He is going to explain to us very clearly the way into these promises. Now remember, this is the words of Jesus. He rose from the dead. His words have validity. Let's begin reading in John chapter 14, verse 1. You'll notice the words are in red. That's how we know Jesus said it. He says, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in Me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. And Thomas said to him, remember Thomas, you guys know Thomas, Thomas is the one who doubted after the resurrection. But boy, the Lord appeared to Thomas, and and Thomas even said to his homies, the the other disciples, he said, I'm not going to believe Jesus rose from the dead unless I could stick my fingers in his wounds. And right about then, we read in John chapter 20, Jesus just walked through the wall into the room, and he said, here you go, Tommy, put your fingers in there. We're told that Thomas fell down and worshipped and said, my Lord and my God. And so now Thomas begins to speak in verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord... We don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but through me. I want you to notice how the passage began. Jesus began by saying, Let not your heart be troubled. Now, if you know the context and not everybody here does, that's okay. This was a troubling evening. And for Israel and for these disciples, these were perilous times. And yet Jesus speaks into the midst of it and says, Let not your heart be troubled. Friends, we're living in troubling times. I mean, we live in an age where, as a nation, we're fighting wars on several fronts. And we're considering moving into another one very shortly. We live in a time where terrorist attacks from religious zealots are a real and present danger on our soil every day. We live in troubling times. We live in an age where would-be nations elect terrorist organizations to head their governments. We live in troubling times. We live in an age when the frequency and force of natural disasters is unparalleled by any other time in history. And we live in these days. But you know what? Jesus told us elsewhere in the New Testament that there would be days like these. Jesus said in Matthew 24, And you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you're not frightened. For those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. He was speaking of these times. He went on to say, For a nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Jesus was talking about the days in which you and I lived. It was a prophecy. And we're seeing these things played out in our headlines every single day. We are confronted with the reality of such things. But I want you to know that Jesus said, see to it that you're not frightened. And He also said, this is not yet the end. But He said in the same breath, all these things are merely the beginning." letting us know that there would be even more perilous times that would come, and yet at the same time saying, don't be afraid, the end is not yet. And as He said, is in our text, let not your heart be troubled. And apart from such external things, apart from the national drama and the international drama and the shaking of the earth and the tsunamis and the floods and all the other things, apart from that, you've got your life, don't you? And man, if life doesn't have enough drama, I don't know It does. And every one of us is in that same boat, you understand. But Jesus says to you today, let not your heart be troubled. It's amazing that in this day and age we have unparalleled knowledge. We have incredible technical prowess. We have supposed enlightenment. We have marvelous tolerance. And yet peace and harmony, clarity and safety seem more elusive than ever. It seems that it's become even more difficult to know the way, to discern the truth, and to preserve life. I want you to note once again carefully that Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. Why? Because he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. I want you to see that the way and the truth and the life is a person, it is the person of Jesus Christ. It is not a religion, the way, the truth, or the life. It is not a philosophy. It's not a set of rules. It's not an ideology. The way, the truth, and the life is not anything you have done or can do, but it is a person. In these perilous times, the way to go, it is a person, the person of Jesus Christ. The truth to know is a person, the person of Jesus Christ. And the life to live is a person, the person of Jesus Christ. And what does Jesus offer us in this text to back up that hope? That he is away in the midst of confusion, the truth in the midst of contradiction, and the life in the face of uncertainty? Well, he says there at the end of verse 1, You believe in God, believe also in me. Here we see something very profound. Not everybody knows this. Jesus claimed, without apology, without mistake, Jesus claimed to be God in the flesh. He said, Amen. He said, You believe in God, believe also in Me. He would go on to say in verse 9, He who has seen the Father has seen Me. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the exact representation of the God of the universe. That He's the beginning and the end. That He is the creator of all things. That all things were created by Him. All things are held together by Him. And they exist for Him. Jesus claimed, Absolutely. Absolutely. To be the God of the universe, manifest in the flesh for you and I. Now Romans chapter 1 verse 4 says that Jesus was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. He was declared unequivocally, without mistake, to be the Son of God with power by His resurrection from the dead. Remember the reason that you're here. And so the resurrection from the dead then means for you and I today, some 2,000 years later, it is proof positive as to the identity of Jesus Christ. You know, because people today make all sorts of claims about who He is, who He might be, and who He isn't. But what about who Jesus claimed to be? He claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life, the Son of God. God manifest in the flesh, the only Savior of the world. And His resurrection from the dead is proof positive today that He is who He claimed to be. And the resurrection from the dead, as I noted earlier, gives validity to His words beyond any other figure in history. Now, if you think logically, and if you investigate it historically, there can be no doubt as to Jesus' resurrection from the dead. First of all, you're here, right? Listen, man, just think for a minute. If Jesus never rose from the dead, you wouldn't be here today. You never would have heard of the dude, you understand? Because his fame spread in a little town called Jerusalem. He was crucified just outside the walls of Jerusalem. He was buried in a tomb just right there near Jerusalem. And what the early apostles preached in Jerusalem was a risen Jesus Christ. Now they stood before Israel in Jerusalem and said, This one Jesus whom you crucified, he has risen from the dead. And the people did not say, well, what are you talking about? I went to his grave and we rolled away the stone and there's the body and he stinketh. He's, all, he's still there. You see, if the disciples were incorrect, it would have been as simple as walking to the tomb, looking in and saying, hey, man, I'm sorry, Peter, I'm sorry, John, I'm sorry. But he's here and he's still dead. You see, and you never would have heard. It would have been barely a blimp, a blimp, a blip. Smaller, a blip on the radar of history. In some obscure class at UCSB, you might have heard about this cat. But no, we've all heard about Jesus Christ. And it started in Jerusalem with the preaching of a risen Lord, and it's come all the way here. Christianity would have died on the spot had he not risen from the dead. The fact is, every Israelite who heard the story of Jesus could just walk to the tomb and look and see that it was empty. And i got news for you today. I've been to Jerusalem several times. She's empty, people. He's not there. He is risen. Also, the changed lives. Amen. The changed lives. You see, the disciples, their lives were turned upside down by the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. When He died on the cross, you remember, they were frightened and they were despairing and they were bummed out. They thought it was the end. And they were afraid of what might happen. But after they saw the risen Lord, they left everything and they went across the face of the earth preaching this risen Lord. They left everything behind. Their lives were transformed. In fact, every single one of them, except for one, was martyred for his faith. I mean killed for his belief in Jesus Christ. The only one that died of old age was John. They tried to boil the homie in oil, but it didn't happen. Every one of them was killed for their faith. Now, are we to believe today that it was a hoax? That they knew that Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, but all of them got together and said, Well, let's just go all around the world and tell people that anyway, and they'll probably kill us for our belief in it, but well, let's go through with it, boys. Maybe one, maybe two, maybe three of them, but not all of them, would die for a lie? No, people, he rose from the dead. It was predicted for thousands of years beforehand in the Old Testament that he would die to pay the price for my sins. And then He would rise from the dead, victorious over sin and death and the devil. Jesus Himself told the disciples several times that He would go to Jerusalem, that He would be crucified, and then on the third day He would rise again. And not only do we have the empty tomb as proof of His resurrection, but listen to me very carefully now. If he didn't rise from the dead, then where is the body? I mean, where did the body go? We we could have put a stop to this whole gig if somebody just said, Hey man, here's the body. He's dead. But in all of history, in all of epigraphy, which is is the study of of ancient scrolls and inscriptions, in all of archaeology, in every discipline of the sciences throughout history for the last 2,000 years, there is not a single... A single statement anywhere of anybody saying that they saw the dead body of Jesus after the third day. Not a single one. I mean, the silence of history on the absence of the body is absolutely deafening. Where's the body if it didn't rise from the dead? It has never been produced. And it's not just that the body wasn't seen. It wasn't, well, the body's missing, so he must have rose from the dead. It's not just that the body wasn't seen. It's that the risen Lord was seen. And it wasn't just by his followers. We're told in the historical text that he was seen by more than 500 at one time. By more than 500 at one time. And he appeared to many, over many days, 40 to be exact, with many proofs as to who he was. 500 eyewitnesses. Do you know if you brought them into a court of law and you gave each one of them just a couple minutes to give their eyewitness testimony that you would have over 26 hours of eyewitness testimony on the stand. Now eyewitness testimony is the strongest sort of testimony admissible in a court of law. What sort of nutcase judge would sit there and listen to 26 hours of eyewitnesses saying, I saw the Lord. Call forth, okay, now witnesses who saw the dead body, and not one comes forward and say, well, he didn't rise from the dead. I mean, you've got to be nuts. It's unbelievable to think that he didn't rise from the dead. History, the sciences... Archaeology, the study of ancient manuscripts, the eyewitness accounts, all of them point to the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Therefore, when he says in verse 6, No man comes to the Father except through me. You can believe him. I mean, his words have absolute validity. And when he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You can take hope in that promise. You can respond to that command and you can find peace today in Jesus Christ. Based upon the promise that he gives us in verse 2. Notice that he says in verse 2. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. Now Jesus is speaking about heaven here. And when Jesus speaks about heaven, he's got absolute authority about it. And he said, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. It could also be translated mansions, you understand. In my Father's house are many mansions. And he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And he says in total sincerity, if it were not so, I would have told you. I mean, nobody thinks that Jesus is a liar. Everybody doesn't necessarily agree that he's the only Savior of the world, but everybody agrees he was at least a good man. I mean, He says here very clearly, if it weren't so, I would have told you. But here's the facts. I go to prepare a place for you. Now, every single one of you has a place prepared for you in heaven. I mean, the Lord's got you in mind, man. And He's making you a house. It's not just a house, it's a mansion, Jesus said. I go to prepare a place for you. If it weren't so, I would tell you the truth. And then He says in the next verse, and if I go, and did He go? He went. If I go, I will return for you, that where I am, you may be also. The Lord promised that He would come for those who are His. Do you know that before Jesus came the first time, the Bible predicted it? The Bible predicted with over 300 prophecies that He would come the first time. All of history attests to the fact that Jesus came Did you know that the Bible speaks eight times more frequently of his coming again than it does the first time? That means, by way of logic, that if you believe Jesus came one time, then you know eight times more sure that he is coming again. But are you ready? I mean, if the Lord were to come now, are you ready? There is a place for you in heaven, Jesus said so. The question is, will you be there? The greatest tragedy would be to look at all these beautiful faces today. Arrive in heaven. There's an empty mansion with your name on it. The Lord loves you today. So much so that he draped himself in humanity. Humbled himself to the point of death upon a cross to pay the price for my sins and for your sins, and is preparing a place for you in heaven. Would you please go there? The only thing that is separating you from this eternal hope and from these promises is, is just a little tiny thing called sin. Just S I N sin. That's all that's keeping you from the promises of God. You see, because God has a standard. That's no big deal. Don't trip out on that. You've got standards too. We've all got standards. Don't trip out. And God has a standard as well. But our standards are relative, you know what I mean. Relative to the culture that we're in, the people that we hang out with, uh, our influence, so on and so forth. They're all relative. Therefore, they're relatively meaningless. But God's standard is not relative. It is absolute. You know this. There is an absolute sense in your heart of right and wrong. You know that God has given you a a conscience. You know that's a gift from him for some of you it might seem like a curse, but it's a gift. You know that there is a difference between right and wrong. There is a sense of absolute moral law within you because there is a moral lawgiver. And though you may not always do the right thing, you know that at times you have done the wrong thing. And you also know God makes sure of it. There is this impending inescapable sense of judgment after death. The Bible says it is appointed for man to die once and then the judgment comes. The Bible does not teach reincarnation. It doesn't teach a second chance. Today is your chance. It doesn't say that you just turn into worm food. It doesn't say that you become one of the dolphins outside of tar pits and jelly bowl. It doesn't say that, man. It says it is appointed for man to die once, and then the judgment comes. And the judgment's gnarly. I'm sorry, but God is a holy God. His standard is not like ours. It is perfect. And we're told in the Bible that the wages of sin or what we earn ourselves from sin is death. Not just physical death. We will die physical death. But spiritual death, which means eternal separation from God. It's just a nasty little word called hell. You know that Jesus spoke of hell more frequently than he did heaven in the Bible. It's a real place. And that's the two options before you today. Heaven or hell. But listen, God loves you. God does not want you to go to hell and God does not send anybody to hell. People choose to go to hell when they reject the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. You have that decision today. It is your decision. And Jesus came to die on the cross to pay the penalty, that is death, for my sin, for your sin, that our debt might be removed, that our sins might be forgiven, that we then would not be held to the standard of God, because that righteous judgment has been met by Jesus on the cross so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be washed white as snow so that we can be given a standing of grace before God, so that we can be given a second chance, so that we can be given our mansions in heaven. That is why Jesus died on the cross. And His resurrection from the dead validates it all. I mean, you just need to think logically, and we're going to close right now. You just need to be logical for a moment. History shows us he rose from the dead. Therefore, his words have validity. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He is a way to heaven. He is a truth about heaven. And in him, we have eternal life in heaven. He claimed absolute exclusivity. Confucius never said that you had to go through him. Buddha never said that you had to go through him. Muhammad never said you had to go through him. Only Jesus Christ said you have to go through Him. It's gnarly, I know, but He rose from the dead. Therefore, He proved beyond anybody else that He is the only Savior of the world and He proved, He demonstrated, He has made known to you and I the love of the Father. We are told that God demonstrated His love for you and I and that while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Confucius never offered to pay your price because he couldn't. Buddha never offered. Muhammad never offered. They all left you in your sin. Only Jesus has said, I will pay your price and give you eternal life. Only Jesus. And so what are you going to do with Him this morning? I mean, what are you going to do with Him this morning? In a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. I'm going to ask you to do something super gnarly. I'm going to ask you to get up out of your chair and come forward to this empty space in front of the platform if you want to receive Jesus this morning. Because you see in the New Testament when he called someone, he called them publicly. Matthew was right there at the tax table collecting taxes and Jesus said, follow me, man. And Matthew got up and went. And to some of you today, you know you're here because Jesus is saying "Do you, follow me. And you're going to have to get up and come down. I'm going to lead you in a prayer to receive him as your Lord and Savior. Here's what it means. It means that you realize you're a sinner. But you recognize that Jesus Christ is the Savior. You're willing to repent of your sins and receive His forgiveness. If that's you, I'm going to give you an opportunity to come down in just a moment. There's others of you here, and you know this already. You've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you ain't living it. If the Lord came for His own today, you'd be caught with your hand in the cookie jar, so to speak. And you just know that today you need to come back to Jesus. You've been the prodigal. You need to come home. You need to get right with him. I'm going to ask you to come forward as well. But I'm going to pray as the band comes up and I I just want you to think. It doesn't matter who's around you. It's not about them. It's about you and Jesus and eternity. And by the way, Jesus said this, you are either for me or you're against me. There is no middle ground. You're either for me or you're against me. He loves you. He gave his life for you. He's here today to receive you with open arms. So as I pray, then the band will begin to play. You make your decision. Thank you, God, for your incredible love. Thank you that it's no mistake that each person is here. That Lord, you brought him here today, because you want them to experience your love and your forgiveness and your renewal and the second chance. Lord, I believe that today you want to mend broken hearts. You want to restore broken lives. You want to make things brand new. That's who you are, Jesus. You're victorious over sin and death and the devil and you want to give us eternal life today. And so Jesus, draw men and women to yourself. Do it, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name. As the music plays, you make your decision. Here we go. Here they come.